I like the way that it, it says what I want to say in the Message Bible. So it's uh, found in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 37 to 39. And it reads like, you know, I think I forgot to tell you 37, huh? But anyway, we're gonna, I'm going to read it to you, and, and I want you to hear. This is the paraphrased version, but it is still the word of God. And it says, remember those early days after you first saw the light? Those were the hard times. Kicked around in public, targets of every kind of abuse. Some days it was you, other days your friends. If some friends went to prison, you stuck by them. If some enemies broke in and seized your goods, you let them go with a smile. Anybody ever let them go with a smile? <laughs> Knowing they couldn't touch your real treasure. Nothing they did bothered you. Nothing set you back. So don't throw it all away now. You were sure of yourselves then. It's still a sure thing. But you need to stick, stick it out. Staying with God's plan so you'll be there for the promised completion. It won't be long now. He's on the way. He'll show up most any minute. But anyone who was right with me thrives on loyal trust. If he cuts and runs, I won't be very happy. But we're not quitters who lose out. Oh, no. We'll stay with it and survive trusting all the way. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, don't walk away. Go ahead and have a seat. I'm blessed to be able to be with you here this morning and to be able to share and you know I, I love this church I don't I love this church I love the church not as much as Jesus did because he died for it but I love this church uh, because over almost 32 years ago my husband and I came up here and we we laid the foundation and we built on it and so this church has been going forward this is a testament of my husband's uh, faithfulness and his uh, craziness, absolutely crazy man I married. Um, but he loved the Lord with all his heart, and that's what attracted me to him, his love for the Lord. He loved God more than anything else. He loved God more than me, which is why we were able to stay married as long as we did. Um, but I've been serving the Lord for 40 years now, and um, I have a great opportunity to just testify of God's faithfulness. In 40 years, I have seen and been through a lot. But one thing stays true. God has been faithful every step of the way. And for some of you who've been starting, you're just barely starting off. This is your first year or second year or fifth year or, or tenth year. I just want to encourage you to keep going forward. Because with the Lord, you may see a lot of things. And you may hurt and you may go through some experiences, but there's nothing, absolutely nothing, that will compare with living for God. Amen. Nothing. And for some of you, you know, say, well, I've never been this, I've never been, I've never been anything. I didn't even get to go to a club. I got saved young. I didn't get to do a lot of things, but I know that I didn't miss out on anything. Amen. Nothing out there for me. At 17 years old, I already knew I already had, had enough of the world. And, um, so here I am 40 years later, and I'm continuing to go forward and to know that God is going, he's my strength, he's my source, he's my husband, he's my everything. Amen? As I was preparing for this message, I was thinking, 
of my children. And if you have more than one child, there is one that is your mirror. I mean, you look at that kid and you're like, oh, they look and act. They've got all your characteristics, not the good ones. And you look at them, you're like, how did I reproduce this? And I remember especially one time when uh, my, my, my mirror is my daughter, Stephanie. And uh, many of you have been here for a while, you may well know she, she's the stubborn one. And um, she was about two and a half years old, and she was already uh, exerting her stubbornness. And she had done something. I can't even remember what it was because she's already going to be 29, so I can't remember that far back. But I knew she did something. And I remember I told her to sit down on the bottom stair. You sit there until I say you can get up. And I, I made her sit down. And she stood up. And I made her sit down, and she stood up. And I made her sit down, and she stood up. This went on, I'm not exaggerating, three hours. <laughs> three hours. And by, you know, after the first 45 minutes, she was just like, she was crying, but not. Tears of hurt, tears of anger. I am not going to sit down. <laughs> and, and, you know, it became a battle of the wills. Who was going to win, me or her? And, and I was getting tired. I was sweating. I was like, Lord. And I, but I didn't want to, you know, hit her in my anger. I just wanted her to do what I said. And so when my husband came over, I told him, you got to take over. She's got to learn how to sit down and stay there. And uh, so he, he got her to sit down. She sat there. And when she finally, finally sat down, all of a sudden tears really started coming out of her because she had now had her will broken. And that is what every parent wants to be able to do. You want to break your child's will, but you never want to break their spirit. There's a difference between the will and the spirit. And that's why I didn't hit her. I didn't discipline her. I didn't get off the bed. I didn't do any of that because it was a battle of the wills. And so many times parents, they get to the point where, you know what, I'm the parent and you're just going to do what I say and they'll just get out the belt or whatever and, and they'll punish them and, and it goes way, way past where it should because you don't want to break their spirit. You want to break their will. And then I, as I was thinking of that illustration, I began to think of how many times my will has battled God's will. How many times God has told me, stay put, uh, but I know what I'm doing. Stay put. No, but you don't understand. God, you don't understand. And me and God, I'm sure it's been longer than three hours, maybe three years, might even be 30 years. We've gone through battles, the Lord and I, as many of you have, when God tells you, Stay put. Sit down. And you just stand right back up. And he says, sit down. It's the battle of the wills. The problem with us is that when we have a crisis situation in our life, all of a sudden, we want to get spiritual. 
I mean, there are things that happen at our job, things that happen in our families, things that happen with our children and our, our husbands and our wives. And, man, we're here. We're here early. We're here praying, God, do something. God, change this situation. Change him. Change her. Change. Change my boss. Change my coworker. We want everybody else to change. And we tend to see spirituality as a quick fix to our immediate need. And once the need is over, once it's been fixed, well, there goes our spirituality. We're no longer coming here to the altar praying. We're no longer getting up early and interceding because it's been fixed. Real spirituality has a long-haul viewpoint, something that's going to make it all the way to the end. I don't want to give you the kind of gospel that's only going to get you to the end of today. I want to give you a gospel that's going to take you all the way to the end of your life. Do you have a faith that can weather time? Can it endure no matter what happens? Can it endure someone leaving your life, whether it be because it is their choice or through death? Could you survive that? Could you handle that? Can it, can it stand up against all the criticisms and the hurt and the pain and the tragedies of life? Colonel George Washington Gothels, he was the man responsible for completing the Panama Canal many years ago. And he had a lot of problems with the weather and he had a lot of problems with the way that it was, the geography of it. And I don't know how many of you know the Panama Canal. It's a, it is one of the wonders of the world how it was built because it, it's actually connecting North and South America and it's a unique, unique canal. And, but his biggest challenge was coming from his critics. People who were saying, you know what, he's not going to do that. He's not going to build that thing. Just like many of you, you have family members that tell you, he ain't going to do this. So let's see, how, how long this time? How long this time? You've been here before, done that before? Yeah, okay, we'll, we'll see. We'll see how long. And so he was getting a lot of criticism. Those who would say, you know what, he's never going to finish the project. Finally, somebody went up and asked him, aren't you going to answer your critics? Aren't you going to be able to give them an answer? And he said, you know what, in time. Well, when? And General George Washington Gothel says, when the canal is finished. See, he wasn't about to turn aside and answer his critics to take him away from what he was doing. And so many of you, you have to remember that when you are going forward and when you are serving God, you're going to have your critics. You're going to have people who are going to come and tell you, you're not going to be able to do this, you're not going to be able to do that. Don't spend and waste your energy trying to explain to them what you can and cannot do. You just keep doing what you're doing. You just keep going forward. You just keep believing God. You just keep putting one foot in front of the other. Because the call of God on our lives is for the long haul, not the short term, not the one that, that comes out of crises. You're going to go through many crises in your life, and you can't just get spiritual when there's crises in your life. It's got to be consistent. Because if not, you're going to find yourself going from crises to crises to crises. Don't think God won't allow that. If you, that's what's going to keep you in, he'll say, oh, that's what's going to keep you saved. If that's what's going to keep you coming to church, okay, get ready because you're just going to go through it. 
And for some of you, you feel like that's all you do is you go through crises, through crises. Maybe, hello, God is trying to speak to you and tell you, I need you to just be consistent. I need you to be the same. Don't come here and, and throw, you know, a, a dance up here at the altar if you're not dancing at home. Don't come up here to the altar crying if you're not crying at the altar at home. Don't try to do something here to show everybody else. Show him at home in the privacy of your own home. The real strength of spirituality is long-term. And the Bible tells us how to develop a lifetime strategy. Not to have a firecracker Christianity, but to have a long-term spirituality. So how, do, how are we going to make it? First thing we need, we need four things, and the, this is the first one. First one is commitment. First Timothy 4.1 says, Now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last time some will turn away from what we believe, that will follow lying spirits and teachings that come from demons. We live in these days when all we hear are lying spirits and lies from demons. The last days are here. I don't know if some of you understand. I'm hoping that this will be the last time that you start, stop fooling around. Stop going back and forth. Because, you know, I, I listen to the news. I'm, I'm a, a news buff. And um, do you know how close we are to war? We are so, we're like this close. The United States, because of what's happening between Israel and Egypt and the Gaza Strip and all of that. I mean, they've been throwing bombs at each other. And we are in alliance with Israel. So if they get into a war, guess what? We're getting into a war. This is not going to be in Afghanistan, not going to be in Iraq, not going to be in Iran. It's going to be us. And we need to understand that this is a crisis that our country is in. And you need to take it to heart that you can't just play games anymore. That this is not something where you can just say, oh, well, you know, I'm going to serve him today. Tomorrow, man, you don't know what I'm going through. You just don't know. The last days are here. And long-term commitments to God are required. The way we live today, promises and vows are always, they're so easily broken. I watched many news places, and I, and I read a lot of articles, and marriages are falling apart. I mean, even in this room today, there are some that are having difficulty, but in the world, marriages are falling apart. There's no commitment. These marriages, they take place, but they get married, and they're like, you know what? You're not the right person for me after all. We don't hit it off. Look at Hollywood. What's the percentage of marriages that stay together in Hollywood? In fact, when you have an enduring marriage, they're like, whoa, you're kidding. I mean, there are some marriages that have stayed together for a long, long time, and you wonder, wow, how did they do it? Because you don't even expect a marriage to last in Hollywood. How sad is that? We don't expect it. And the same thing is happening here in the church, in the church of God. Marriages are not lasting because you get together and you don't get in with the mentality of commitment. 
You don't get in with a mentality that it doesn't matter how she is or how he is. We're going to stick this thing out. I'm not going to dump her or dump him off because he doesn't make me coffee in the morning or because she doesn't make me dinner that I like or she burns the beans or whatever. The commitment stays all the way to the end. You can't have a starter marriage. You can't start off and, and see if you like it and then realize, ah, oh, this is not for me, and then try something else or try someone else. Then we have those in this, in this day and age that they don't even want to get married. Let's just live together. You know, I, I don't understand, and I was watching the news this morning, and they were saying that that's one of the reasons why Romney lost, because he was so conservative. He didn't believe in gay marriage. He didn't believe in abortions. He didn't believe in a lot of that. And so they're trying to figure out how conservatism is going to be able to make it in America. America hates conservatives. They don't like marriage, man and woman. They don't like the fact that they can't have an abortion. They want to be able to do whatever they want, whenever they want, with whomever they want. If you choose to live together, make it a difference. Get that piece of paper that says we're committed. Because without that piece of paper, that door is very easily opened. Very easy. Some of you may say, well, you know what? It's just a piece of paper. No, it's not just a piece of paper. It's a commitment. That's what the commitment. You put your name on the dotted line, you're done. You're done. For life. Till the Lord takes one of them home. For life. It means a lot. The Bible says in the end days, many are going to be falling away from the faith. In 2 Thessalonians 2.3, it says, Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed. This is a falling away. This is where we're at in the world. I, I'm leaving to Europe tomorrow, and I've been studying a lot about Europeans. And they have the percentage of evangelicals or Christians there is very small because they don't trust the church. And that spirit of not trusting the church is coming to America. There are people that don't trust the church. When you go out, those of you who are going to go out today, and I hope that there's a good group, but when you go out and you talk about Jesus, everybody has a high respect for Jesus. When you talk about Jesus, oh, yeah, Jesus, man, he's, he's a good guy, man, he's, the Bible, and they have this high respect, but when you talk to them about the church, they don't have that respect. They've lost that respect. Why is it? Because of us. We don't live the way we're supposed to live. We live one way in these four walls, and then we go out and we live a different way. And we have shown the world a difference between the Jesus of the Bible and the Jesus in our life. Faith is present, but we have faith in the wrong things. People are not abandoning their faith. They're only abandoning their faith in God, in people. You and me. See, the world is filled with spirituality, but spirituality that focuses on unbiblical things. There are people who will pay thousands of dollars to go 
to a palm reader or a seance or a medium. Tell me what's going to happen. Tell me what the future is. Tell me how my father, my mother, my sister, my brother is. Tell me how my spouse is. Tell me how they're doing. And they'll pay thousands of dollars to know what is going to happen in the future. I want to let you know that those of you who read astrology, demonic. You cannot tell your future by the stars. You cannot tell your future by an astrologist. You want to know your future? Read your word. That's what, but, but you don't understand. I want to know what's, what, what my love life is going to be like. I, I want to know where my, my Mr. Romance is going to come from or where my Miss Right is going to come from. You want to know? Be the right person. Don't be looking in the stars. Don't be looking in the horoscope. Don't be looking in seances. It's in the word of God. That's where it comes from. It doesn't come anywhere else. So anytime you're tempted to look at your horoscope, let it go. Now, do we all look at our fortunes when we go to Chinese restaurants? All of us do. We're like, oh, man, this is a good one. I'm going to save this one. I'm going to put this one on my mirror. We all do that with our fortunes. How about getting the word of God, typing it up, and putting that on your mirror? How about putting that promise that God said he's going to do something on your dashboard? On Whenever you flip down to look at yourself, there's the word. When you go to your refrigerator, there's the word. Type it up and put it on your bathroom wall. Type it up, put it up anywhere. Write it out. Do whatever you have to do. There's nothing worth following in the world. And we cannot be people who have shallow commitments. Because Christ has picked us up. He's cleaned us up. He's put us on a right path. Why? Why, when we go through crises, would we run back to the world for a solution? When he cleansed us and he allowed us to be transformed, why, when we go through hard stuff, would we go back to confusion? Would we go back to hurt? Would we go back to pain? We have been changed, and sometimes we think, well, it's different now. No, it's not different. It just looks different, but it's not. See, the world recognizes the weakness of Christian commitments. The world recognizes it. How many of you are going to be going to your families this holiday season, and your family is going to spot a weakness in you? Come on here, just one drink. It's not that big of a thing, just one. Now, they wouldn't even offer you if they didn't see a weakness because the world can spot a weakness. The world can spot a weakness in you better than you can spot a weakness in yourself. They wouldn't offer you a joint. They wouldn't offer you any whiskey or vodka if they didn't see a weakness in you. If you are done and your commitment is strong, they'll just, you know what, they're like, oh, no, pass over that one. Just pass over that one. Don't, don't even go there. Don't even offer. They can spot a weakness. We learn to be hypocritical since we're kids. We learn. I learned because... I lived in the days when bill collectors would come to the door. They didn't, they didn't call you on the phone. They didn't send you an email. I lived when they actually came to the door. And, you know, I'm the oldest of nine kids. And so 
everybody in the neighborhood would know when there was a bill collector coming. Every, you know, those looking out their windows, looking through the curtains, oh, the whole neighborhood knew. And they were like, okay, where is he going? Where is he going? And immediately people would be on the phone, he's going to your house. <laughs> we could tell. And so what would happen is when the bill collectors were coming to our house, my mom would send me out there. Everybody else had to be quiet. We all, they all had to run to the back of the house. TV off, nothing's going on, and say, nobody's home. Tell them nobody's home. I learned very young. I mean, I'm still a kid, but I learned to say, no, my mom's not home. No, my dad's not home. Oh, okay. Well, just let him know that I came by. Here's my card. Okay. Then he would go. I learned to lie at a very young age. I learned when I picked up the phone, and I'm like, uh, Mom, so-and-so, I'm not here. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I thought she was here. She left. <laughs> Learned very young how to lie. I don't think my parents understood what they were teaching me, but that's what they were teaching me. What are you teaching your children? Are you teaching them the shortcuts on how to be hypocritical? Come to church, be truthful. Go home, hmm, little white lie. There are those who pretend to be really spiritual, but you're not disciplined. You don't pray, you don't read, but you know how to talk, and you know how to fake it. One phrase I absolutely hate is that phrase, fake it to make it. I've heard that a lot. Fake it to make it. I don't want to be fake. I was fake for too many years. I don't want to be fake. When we try to be something that we're not, I'm going to tell you something, it's going to leak. If you try to be holy and you try to be this person that, oh, man, they're so spiritual, they know the word of God, they can do this, they can do that, they can quote you scriptures. If it's not in you, if it's here and then it's not in your spirit, when you come up to a crisis, you're going to leak. You're going to leak. Because the abundance of your heart is what your mouth will speak. So when you come up to a crisis, what comes out of your mouth? When things don't go your way, how do you talk? When, when your spouse doesn't do something that you told them you wanted them to do, how do you talk to them? How do you talk to your children who don't do what you tell them to? What words come out of your mouth? Because that is your spirituality. That is who you are. The abundance of your heart is what your mouth speaks. How spiritual are you really? You know, there was a man called David Little, and he was known as a man of strength, and he was a linebacker for the Pittsburgh Steelers. And he had this great career. He had 12 seasons with the Steelers, and he started in 125 games out of 179. He played 89 games in a row. In 1990, he played in the Pro Bowl. But neither him nor his wife knew that he had an enlarged heart. And on March 17, 2005, he was bench pressing 250 pounds. And he experienced a heart arrhythmia. And it caused him to drop the 250 pounds on his chest. And it rolled onto his throat. 
and he asphyxiated, he suffocated. Even a person of great strength can have a fatal weakness. What's yours? So the real characteristics of spirituality are going to be known to others because you can't fake spirituality. You can't fake maturity. You just can't. So what do we need? We need commitment. Secondly, we need training. You go online, there's a training program for everything. You can train people educationally, train them professionally, train them athletically, train them financially, and yet we are the only people that want spirituality without training. 1 Timothy 4, 7b says, train yourself to be godly. Train yourself to be godly. How do you train yourself to be godly? Because there's so many people who this is their goal to stand here. Their goal is to get a license. Their goal is to be, have a title and a position. That's their goal. And Paul says, you need to train yourself to be godly because it's not a position and it's not a title that makes you spiritual. We all want to be preachers and teachers, but we don't want to be trained. We don't want to discipline ourselves. We don't want to get up early or stay late in the word searching scriptures. You know that my husband used to say that this was 5% of the ministry right here, standing behind a pulpit. 5%, maybe 10. Out of all the things, it's only 5 to 10% of the ministry because my biggest battles have been fought all week to get me here. My biggest battles on the inside and on the outside are all the spiritual warfare that I had to go through just before I get here. That's the most difficult part. It's not standing up here. This is not hard. What's hard is having to fight the enemy all week long. What's hard is keeping my spirit in tune with God. What's hard is making sure that I don't let my heart get angry or bitter with someone or something that didn't go my way. That's the hard part. Because when I come up here, I'm able to share out of a pure heart. Not a heart that has been angry and critical and judgmental, but a heart that has stayed in tune with God. That's the hard part. The problem with our desire for spirituality is that we want to be able to, to just buy it. Like, like a package. Without having to grow through discipleship. There's, this is a true story of John Wooden. He's one of my favorite um, people, because I, I love his book, Wooden on Leadership. He was a basketball coach for UCLA. UCLA won yesterday. Yay. Beat the SC. My brothers are SC fans. I was the only UCLA, and I had to call him and tell him, and like, okay, 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 we got it, we got it. Um, and John Wooden, when he was a basketball coach, all the new players would get together for the first day, and they were always full of anticipation of what Coach Wooden was going to say because he was infamous. He had won so many uh, basketball awards and stuff, and they wondered how their coach was going to set the tone for the season. And the veterans that were coming back, they already knew what was coming. They, they already had it down. But the first-year players were always confused by the first lesson taught by their Hall of Fame coach. Because every first game, 
and every game thereafter. You know what the coach, this Hall of Fame coach, would teach his players? How to put on their socks. Every game. And you would think, I know how to put on socks. We all put on socks today. He didn't teach this only once, but he taught it before every game and every practice. How to put on socks. Now, why did he do that? Because John Wooden had discovered many players who didn't properly smooth out all the wrinkles in their socks around their heels and around their little toes. And if you didn't smooth out all the wrinkles on your heels and around your little toes, those wrinkles could cause blisters that could hinder and slow down the performance of a player in the game. Sometimes crucial times of playing basketball, if you feel that you have a blister, you can't run anymore. You can't do what you're supposed to do. You can't participate. You can't fulfill your responsibility. You can't fulfill your play because your feet are hurting, because you didn't put on your socks right. And many players, whenever he would go through this practice every game, they would laugh about it. They would think it was funny. And some still laugh. But he would never compromise on the basic fundamental principle because he believed in it and he insisted on it. And in that same way, sometimes when you come to church, you're like, I really know what they're going to do. I got it timed out. They do so many minutes of worship. Then after that, they do prayer, and then they do offering, and then they do the announcements. You got it all down. You know the fundamentals. So you're not willing to be taught how to do it again. You don't want to be told how to put on your socks. I already know how to put on my socks. Yeah, but you're not running the way you're supposed to. You're walking a little funny. Maybe you got a blister that's making you not walk correctly. The Bible says that blessed are them who carry the, whose feet are carrying the gospel. Maybe you're walking a little funny because you haven't been putting on the fundamentals. You haven't been doing what you're supposed to do. Train yourself to be godly. No athlete becomes good without long-term training. No professional works in his field without long-term training. So why do we think that we can be spiritual without training? That's why we have ministries in this church like Vethi and Journey Groups and Men's and Women's Ministries and Youth Group and Children's Church and Worship Team Practices and Twilight Treasures and Evangelist. Every opportunity for you to be trained. We are here to help train you. That's even the reason for a Sunday morning service. To when we worship, we're training you how to go home and do it. We're training you. This is all part of it. Sometimes, the for some of you, just the training is just sitting through a whole service without getting up and getting up and getting up. That's training in itself. Because for some of you, you don't know how to sit. You'll sit through a movie. Two hours, two and a half hours, three hours if it's really good. And you will just sit there. But you can't sit through church. 
You got to train yourself to be godly. A basketball or track coach gave his new student a basic lesson of competition, and he said, run till it hurts. Right, Emmanuel? Run till it hurts. Anyone who has ever competed in track knows that that's true. Anyone who's ever thought about life knows that that's true. You have to keep running even though it hurts. Spirituality doesn't drop into our laps. Discipline is necessary for training. And discipline is part of where we get the word discipleship. Most Christians, we all think that discipleship is a good idea, but we don't practice it. Most of you don't even see each other all week. Most of you don't even communicate with each other all week. You see each other from Sunday to Sunday. And you're, hey, how you doing? And you haven't communicated or touched bases or, or been discipled or communicated all week long. How can you train when you're not in fellowship? How can you train when you're not in communication? Well, I'm too busy. I'm too busy. Norman Vincent Peale said this. He said, being a minister is just reminding people over and over and then reminding them over again what is important to life. I, nothing I'm telling you today is Rima. It's like nothing here I'm telling you is going, oh, I've never heard that before. You've all heard it. And I'm just repeating it. Be you know why? Because, see, this is the Sunday before the holidays begin. And the Sunday before holidays begin, to me, is one of the most important times. Because this is the time when people say, you know what? I'm walking away. I can't do this. It's too hard. Some of you even have that fear of Thanksgiving where you're going to have to see family members that you haven't talked to all month, all six months, all year. Or you haven't talked to them for years because you have things going on with them. This is the season when your spirituality, when your maturity is going to come up and you're going to have to walk the walk. Really walk the walk. And that's why the title of this message is Don't Walk Away. You're on this path. Stick with it. There's an illustration of two traveling angels who stopped to spend the night at a home of a wealthy family. And the family was rude and refused to let the angels stay in the mansion's guest room. Instead, they put the angels in a small space in a cold basement. And they made their bed on the hard floor. The older angel saw a hole in the wall, and he repaired it. When the younger angel asked why, the older angel replied, things are not always as they seem. The next night, the pair came to rest at the house of a very poor but very hospitable farmer and his wife. And after sharing what little food they had, they let the couple sleep in their bed where they could have a good night's rest. When the sun came up the next morning, the angels found the farmer and his wife crying. Their only cow, whose milk was their only income, was dead in the field. And the younger angel was upset, and he asked the older angel, how could you have let this happen? And the first man he had everything, yet you helped him, he accused. And the second man, they don't have anything. They were willing to share everything with us, and you let the cow die. And the older angel said, things are not always as they seem. 
When they stayed in the basement of the mansion, he said, I noticed that there was gold stored in a hole in the wall. And since the owner was so obsessed with greed and unwilling to share his good fortune, I sealed up that wall so he couldn't find it. And then last night as we slept in the farmer's bed, the angel of death came for his wife. I gave him the cow instead. Things are not always as they seem. So what's important for me to remind you is that you don't have to live the rest of your life the way you're living. You need to know that you don't have to have a starter life. You don't get an opportunity to do this all over again. There is no such thing as reincarnation. The Bible says that we are appointed once to die and after that the judgment. You don't get to do this again. You only get one chance. One. And you got to do it the best way you can. So many times we think we have so much time. When you're young, oh my gosh. When you're young, you think you have so much time. How many of us over 35 thought we had a lot of time? We all thought we had time. Later. I'll do it later. I'll do it later. And then as 40 creeps up and as 50 creeps up and 60 creeps up, you begin to think, you know what? Man, I wish I would have changed earlier. I wish I would have done this earlier. I wish I wouldn't have done that. And we begin to believe that we have an opportunity to make it right for the end. When we train ourselves, sometimes there's going to, there's going to be injuries. There's going to be injuries to our knees, injuries to our ankles, injuries to our feet, injuries to our bones. You know, this morning I was reading in my devotional, and it, it, it was a, a very eye-opening devotional this morning because one thing I never knew, when, um, when Paul was talking about how, uh, how he suffered, how he suffered in, um, sorry, it's just really hot up here, uh, how he suffered in, um, it's all right, it's okay, how he suffered in shipwrecks and how he suffered in um, uh, beatings. One of the things that I never understood when, when was in that litany of all the things that he went through was he said that he suffered by rods. I said, what is that? So my devotional went into rods, and it explained what happened, that they would take a man and they would rope him up with his arms together, lie him on his face, get his feet and tie them together, and then they would hold his feet. And there would be a man who would get a rod, steel, and who would consistently hit his feet until he broke every bone in his feet. He would beat his feet until they were cracked, until they were bleeding, until they were blistered, until they were so inflamed that they were like, okay, we're good. And Paul said that he went through that many times, not just once and not just twice. He said several times. Now, I don't know about you, but it doesn't feel too good when your feet hurt. It doesn't feel too good when you have 
you know, a little blister or a corn or if you have a heel spur. I mean, you don't want to do, I, I can't go out. My feet hurt. I can't walk. I mean, it's like too hard. I can't go out evangelize. My feet, man, I don't have this and I, I need cushion and I, I don't have the right shoes. And, and we make all these excuses. And when I read this morning about Paul, how after he had been beaten with rods on his feet, that he got up and he continued walking and spreading the gospel. And I just thought, man, what a wimp I am. This man who suffered with his feet more than once and it never stopped him. What stops you? A sniffle? Oh, I don't feel good. I'm not going out. You don't have the right clothes? You don't have gloves. What is it that stops you? I know what didn't stop Paul was beatings and rods. Sometimes spirituality is exactly what happens to us when things don't turn out the way they should. If you have faith, you just need to trust that God has every outcome to our advantage. Does it always look like it's going to work out to our advantage? Nope. We're probably not even going to know until sometime later. But in training ourselves to be godly, we train ourselves to live by faith. And this means that if we're failing, if we're making mistakes, if our life is falling apart, we do not quit. We don't wallow in self-pity. We don't point the finger at somebody else. We don't blame them for our circumstances. Because I'll tell you, I've already done all that, and it doesn't work. If there is something that's happening in your life, God allowed it. He allowed it. And there are times when I've gone before the Lord and said, God, I don't understand. I, I don't know why. But I know that I know that I know that you're going to work something together for good through this circumstance. So how do we make it for the long haul? First, commitment, then training, then third, being an example. The fact is that we're being watched. You're being watched. Your kids are watching you. Don't they watch everything? This church is being watched and you are being watched. Now, I know that they may upset some of you that you're being watched, but hey, if you've ever watched the movie The Enemy of the State, we're all being watched. Everything, person of interest, we're all being watched. Our whole life, I don't know if you know this, but our whole life is on the back of our license. That little black strip, your whole life is there. That's why they take your license and they run it through their computer. They can tell everything about you. That little black strip says everything. Our phones can be tapped anytime the government wants to know more about us. I mean, if you've been watching the news with General Petraeus, you know there is no email no phone call, there is nothing that is hidden from the government. They can see everywhere. Can't, they're not God, but man, they can watch us. So if our example is less than a long-term commitment to Christ, then how are we going to motivate anybody else to serve God? Paul says in Timothy 4.15, to be diligent in these matters, give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. You know, I have people come up to me many times and they tell me that they're encouraged 
on how I've chosen to go forward despite the things that I've gone through. I don't even think about other people watching me. I'm just doing what I'm supposed to do going forward. Why, I, I, what amazes me is why people would think that that's so phenomenal. Because when you make a commitment to serve, I, I made a commitment. I made a commitment to serve God before my husband, with my husband, after my husband. I made a commitment to, to one man, and I was faithful to him the whole 27 years. I mean, there was like, when you make a commitment, you stay faithful to your commitment. You just do. You don't even think about it. And the last thing, how do we make it for the long haul? Not only commitment, not only training, being an example, but lastly, expectation. In Hebrews 10, 39, one of the opening scriptures that I read, it says, anyone who is right with me thrives on loyal trust. If he cuts and runs, I won't be very happy. Be but we're not quitters who lose out. Oh, no, we'll stay with it and survive, trusting all the way. I love this scripture because I know that when I first accepted the Lord, I mean, this is like a long time ago, there was a song that says, I have decided to follow Jesus. And that became my song because the words were, I have decided. I did this. Nobody made me come up to the altar. Nobody twisted my arm. Nobody said, you got to do this. I did this. I have decided to follow Jesus. And when I made that commitment up here at the altar, I kept it. Now, I know for some of you, it's been a real difficult commitment because things have gotten in the way. But I want to challenge you today to make your commitment for the long haul. We're all going to go through things, but you've got to stay faithful. You get the fruit of your commitment with Christ takes time. You know that it, there's a scientific proof that a drop of rain can make a hole in a stone. It's not one drop, but it's a consistent drop. Consistent drop. Consistent drop. That raindrop can make a hole in a stone. Not by strength or by force, but by just continuing to fall. And that's why you need to know that whatever it is that you're expecting God to do in your life, it's going to take a drop by drop by drop. It doesn't happen overnight. It's not an avalanche. It's not a waterfall. It's a drop by drop. For some of you, you're waiting for your, your spouse to change. Drop by drop. You're waiting for your children to change. Drop by drop. You're waiting for everybody to change. They're also waiting for you to change. Drop by drop. My favorite scripture given to me is Hebrews 11.27b. And that was given to me early in my walk. I think I had known the Lord about a year. And it says, for he persevered as seeing him who is invisible. And it didn't, I didn't fully understand that scripture until way, way later, why he gave that to me so early in my walk. And I come to understand that there have been a lot of things that I've had to endure, and there's been pain, and there's been heartache and burdens and responsibilities that so many times I have wanted to say, you know what, I'm out. I'm done. This is just too hard. But God spoke that word to me that I would persevere. 
And there's going to be so many things, so many battles. But one thing I know, just like this scripture, I'm not one of them that shrinks back. I've never been one to back down from a fight. I've never been one to back down from when everybody says, let's go. I'm in it all the way. If I turned around and you're back there, I'm still going forward. I'm not going to say, oh, what happened? I'm still going to go. When I made a commitment, I made a commitment. I'm not a quitter who's going to lose out. There is a, a, a cockleburr. It's called a cockleburr. And it's a seed pod that has several seeds. Not just one. It has several of them. And what is so unique about the cockleburr is that every seed begins to germinate in a different year. And so if a seed doesn't sprout this year, then seed B will take over next year, and that one will sprout. And if seed B doesn't sprout, then seed C. And it just keeps on going. They don't all come out at once. They come out one year, and then another year, and then another year, waiting until the right conditions for the whole thing to grow together. Long-term faith is what each of us need. You guys got a lot of seed put into you. Some of you have been here for many years. You've got a lot of seed. And for some, you've just started on this journey. But you've got a lot of seed, and that seed has to germinate. It has to grow. No one becomes great with a short-term commitment. It takes a long haul. So how is your commitment to Christ? Is it only good when there's blessings in your life? Is your commitment to Christ running second to all your other commitments? Does your job get more commitment than the Lord? See, we live in a world where we can get everything immediately, except spirituality, except maturity. And I don't know where you're at today, but I do know that this is the season for people to go through struggles, more like, most like never before. They go through struggles with the holiday season. Suicide rates are the highest in holiday season. And I'm here to remind you that you can do this, that you don't have to give up, that you don't have to be sidestepping, that you can make a commitment and make it for the long haul. Bow your heads with me this morning. And as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, I really want you to think about your relationship with the Lord this morning. This message may not be for all of you, but it, even if it's just for one, then you're the one the Lord gave it to me for. Your relationship with the Lord is so very important. And whether you've been serving the Lord for five minutes or five years or 50 years. It's got to get on fire. It's got to get on fire. It's not just about you and it's not just about me. It's about people who are dying without knowing him. And if you're here this morning and you've never given your life over to the Lord, saying, you know, this morning, 